some serious competition. And the benefit of serious competition is that you guys get some great chili and some amazing soup. So I know there's at least two guys that are competing for the championship of the chili part of the cook-off. So they have put their best chili on the table. So go back there, make sure you stay in fellowship with us, have some soup, have some chili. But the main thing is we want our church just to get to know each other, uh, meet new friends, talk to new people, uh, and realize, hey, we're all going through life's journey. We're all on the same path. And it's a whole lot easier when we do this journey together. So I got these amazing shirts. Uh, let me see if I can figure out how to hold this up. So we got these shirts, and on the back of the shirt, it has the uh, diagram or picture of our church that we're building. So these shirts are a part of our um, uh, building fund. So have one of these exclusive shirts that shows the church. It's on the side right here where you see our Impact Church uh, where we're raising the money to, to finish the building process. There's the building uh, picture. That picture's on the back of these shirts right over there where Laura is, where Kathy and uh, Beth so and Clinton. So go over there and see the shirt. $25 gets you one of these shirts to take home. But that $25, more importantly, is an investment in building the church that God wants us to have on that land to do great ministry opportunities through that building. Like Brad said, this is a, uh, a building that will be open seven days a week. And so many opportunities that we can reach out to our community, bring the community in to do different activities, but more importantly, to share Jesus Christ with this uh, community through all these different outreaches. So... Uh, I just lost my announcements. Oh, by the way, I'm Pastor Tim. My wife always listens. Make sure they know who you are. I'm Pastor Tim. Say, everybody say, hey, Pastor Tim. Are we awake out there? We got some great coffee in the back there. Wake you up. We got some bagels back there somewhere if you want to have a little breakfast to get you some energy. Uh, our building fund so far to this point is up to 220900 uh, and that does not include our, yes, thank you for everyone who's contributed. That does not include our $50,000 match that's been proposed out there. So as you give towards uh, reaching our entire goal, that 50 will be matched to your, towards your goal. So, so that 220000 does not include that 50000 yet. So as you give, your, your gift doubles and gets us even closer to our, our end goal. Uh, ladies, ladies have an event Saturday, January 27th at 6 p.m. at the weight room. It's a ladies bunko night. So please RSVP with Angie or Stacy. So bunko night. So ladies, it'll be a fun time, great, uh, great, exciting time to get together as ladies. So do that. And then, like I said, be sure to stay after church for our chili cook-off celebration. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear God, we thank you so much for your blessings to us. And Father, for uh, this church body that you, God, You've put your fingertips on. You've drawn your people together, uh, people that want to serve this community, people that want to glorify and worship you. Uh, Father, this is your family here at Impact. We thank you for what you're doing through us uh, because we're not doing this. We're just, we're, we're clinging to you. We're walking with you. We're seeing you do the work. As you've given us this land, as you are building this building, you're doing all the work, and we glorify you. And we're just thankful that you, God, um, you're your creator, you're, you're magnificent, you're wonderful, you're amazing. And, and all that, you look at us and you choose to use us for your work. And Father, we're honored and we're blessed, we're humbled that God in, in Forest, Virginia, 
you have chosen us, this church, Impact Church, to be used to, to bring the gospel, to bring discipleship, to bring healing, to bring love and support to this community, Father. And Father, we thank you for that. So God, we give you all the glory for what we've accomplished. And Father, we look forward to what you have in store for us. Father, we know that uh, we have met the resistance, which we feel like that just confirms that we are supposed to be here and we have a purpose and we have a plan. We have a future that's going to bring you great glory, bring many families to, to healing, many families to know Jesus Christ as Savior. And Father, for that, we give you all the glory for it. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So glad to see you this morning. Worship with us. Impact Family, let's all stand together as we worship the Lord today. Would you stand?
to lift up the name of Jesus. Can you say amen to that? Praise the Lord. Thank you, Father.
Lord, in your heart right now, just say, thank you, Lord, for the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the power in that name. Lord, there's no one worthy more than you. The name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are Lord to the glory of the Father. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your name.
body of believers called Impact, God. We thank you that you've been faithful for the past seven years, God, in this church, bringing you glory, God, and you'll be faithful for many, many more years in the future, God. We thank you, God, for who you are. And God, as we celebrate today, God, we we just reminded that this is all for your glory, Father. Everything that's said and done is for your glory, Father. We thank you for the opportunity just to be in your presence, God. God, help us to be changed to be more like you today. You deserve every part of our lives, God, to be lived in obedience to you. God, help us to live in obedience and bring you glory because you deserve it, Father. You deserve all the glory. We love you. We thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May be seated. of adversity, we could never find the strength to trust without faith. Because we don't have the capability to see above the trials that we meet, to keep our eyes focused on the King while counting the situation we are currently experiencing as joy. Faith works. This is the essence of James. We don't work to be saved. We work because we are saved without faith, without works. We too quickly become that man in the mirror staring at his face, but then forgets the way he looks as soon as he turns away. But with faith, with works, we stay steadfast on this journey, progressively sanctified, knowing we'll be perfected once we reach the other side. Faith works. This is the cry of James, that faith apart from works can never be sustained, that in every day and in every way we should see this truth proclaimed because it's faith that makes us doers of the word, not just hearers. It's faith that keeps us humble, not proud. It's faith that directs our tongues to bless, not to curse. It's faith that causes us to show mercy, 
not judgment. It's faith that leads us to true religion, not its empty substitute. And it's faith that's causing us to preach the good news to every tribe, tongue, and nation with every breath that we breathe. And it will be faith that causes us to worship our God for all eternity. This is the message of James. Faith works. Amen to all that. Welcome to church this morning. How's everybody doing? Y'all lips frozen together or something? Hey, man. Hope y'all are excited to be in the house of the Lord today. Welcome to Impact Church here. Uh, we've got some diehards coming through the cold. It's a little chilly out there for Virginia, isn't it? I don't know about y'all, man. I'm ready for some like normal temperatures. Of, and, you know, you go out and just got to get in my door this morning, my truck. I'm like, man, is my door locked? Oh, no, it's just froze together. That's cool. All right. So, uh, man, different, different times here. And, and first thing I thought of, and uh, David Van said something this morning is, man, do you remember the, guy, the, the days of the tent? How many of you guys were there when we were in the tent a couple years ago? Man, y'all remember mornings like this? We had porta potties, y'all, for those of y'all who weren't with us then. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, ah, school cafeteria bra. I'm telling you, man, you'd be thankful you're in a school cafeteria today because you used to go up to that porta potty on mornings like this and it was froze over. You know what I'm saying? There was no water to hit, it was ice. I don't know how we had a single lady that went to Impact Church back then. That's, I, y'all are built different. That's all I'm saying. Like, you really want to be at church. I love it. And uh, man, it's great to have you here this morning. If you're visiting with us, yes, I'm crazy. I'm Pastor Brad here. Uh, Welcome. If this is your first visit to Impact Church, maybe your fifth, maybe your 20th, and you're searching for a church home, a place to to call home, a place to, to belong, and a place to be discipled and grow and serve, man, God's got you in the right place. We hope this is your last stop, your last shop. God would anchor you, your friends, your family here, and we could grow together and serve Jesus and reach a community in this dark world we live in. So welcome to Impact Church this morning. So yes, today, as you come in as well, you see it's our uh, seventh birthday. So today we celebrate seven years of ministry at Impact. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. He gets all the glory for every obstacle that's overcome because you just heard about how we spent uh, two years in a field uh, doing ministry. Think about this. In Forest, Virginia, we're only seven years old. Two years of that, we spent with no running water in Forest, Virginia. <laughs> I want you to think about that. Man, that's third world country stuff. <laughs> that should have squashed our church. We were only three years old when COVID hit. We got tossed out in a field. Jesus sustained, but not only sustained, but grew. You know what's beautiful is, you, you know, I don't go to all these church growth model classes and you got to do this. You got to have this kind of programs and this kind of follow-up. You know what? If you want to come to Impact Church, you're going to come because you're hungry for his word. You want to be discipled and you want to lock arms with a fellowship of believers and come to a church that stands on his word unapologetically. All right. And and I truly believe that. And we've seen God do just that. It's not about a bunch of model and things that, you know, they're okay. But I believe God's faithful and he grows his church. And uh, we've seen that. And people anchored here wholeheartedly as we spend seven years today celebrating. So I hope you can stay afterwards, fellowship, hang out with some food. Um, um, Tony and I were joking this morning. This service today could be sponsored by Bino and GasX. We have lots of chili in the back. So, um, you know, we're going to have a great ride home and uh, watching football today. And uh, anyway, all right. So we're going to enjoy today. Have a great time. Afterwards, I'll share our finances from last year and our projected budget from this year. But I want to move forward also in saying that we're getting ready to start year eight. Yes, we're celebrating seven years, but we're looking forward to what God has in front of us in year eight. Number eight in the Bible is the 
year of new beginnings. It's the number of new beginnings. And we're trusting and praying that God has just that in store, that God's doing a new work. We know we're getting a tool this year in a building that we can use to reach people. And I'm excited about what God's going to do through this church because we're here to make disciples. Make no mistake, we're here to infuse a biblical worldview into people who attend Impact Church. I'm going to tell you guys, that's a lost art in the church today. Did you know that? Get this statistic. This broke my heart. Of all the people in the United States that call themselves a Christian, let's just call themselves a Christian because we know, you know, whatever. Only 13 to 19% have a biblical worldview. I want you to think about that. That means they see the lens of their life and the decisions they make and everything they do through the lens of Scripture. Guys, how can you call yourself a Christian and not have a biblical worldview? That's what James is talking about here. And so as such, I want to introduce to you a class that's starting this Tuesday. All right, this, you can call it a life group, but it's an eight-week class is what it is. It's a discipleship class. We want to move more toward discipleship stuff. And this is for all ages. I don't care if you're a high schooler, a college student, a, a young adult, a middle-aged adult, a, 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 an older adult. It doesn't matter. Walk with the Lord for one month, 10 years. It doesn't matter. This is a class that we all need to take. And I'll need to look at at some point. So Donna and, uh, and Kush, where y'all you know, over there on the side, they're going to be on the side here after church. Make sure you go see them, sign up for the class. They'll give you their address. It starts this Tuesday. It runs for eight weeks every Tuesday from 7 to 8.30 in their home right here in Forest. So it's local. It's convenient. And they're going to go through this uh, class. And I want to give you this video real quick before we dive in to um, show you about a little bit about what this class is about. I am your tour guide, and you're about to take what could well be the most important tour of your life. It's going to be a worldview tour. We are going to look at all points of the compass and examine all the areas of a world and life view. There is no direction that you can head in which God has not spoken. Oh, we're going to begin to build this foundation. And eventually we're going to get to the top. We're going to talk about God's social design, social order that God has prescribed for man. And we're going to take a look at the pathologies associated with each of those and what happens when man turns away from God's design. We're going to bring some experts into the classroom. Truth is fundamentally about who God is. We're challenged to either confront culture, to abandon it, or transform it. Is our culture filled with lies? This is a battle of worldviews. It is a battle between the truth claims of God and the lies and the illusions of the world of flesh and the devil. And we're going to look at the American experiment. Because I am convinced that the people who founded this country, the people who came here, from the pilgrims and the Puritans, they came with a comprehensive biblical worldview, a mature worldview.
making disciples, baby. That's what I'm talking about. So sign up. Um, if you don't know how to use your, your smartphone, well, you can sign up on the Church Center app. You can sign up on our website. It'll take you to it. Or you can go over to that table at the end of service and make sure your name's on the list and get signed up and figure out where you need to be Tuesday. But a great class and a great um, heart of what impact is and why God uh, moved us here to plant this church. And that's to, to reach the 85% of people who call themselves Christians that don't have a biblical worldview. Because you know what? You're deceived and you got to have it. So that's what God's brought us here for. And that's what James is about, is pushing for a biblical worldview, a life-changing worldview in people who call themselves believers. And that's who James is writing to. He's writing to um, the, these tribes of, of Israel. These are, this is a, the, the church guys at the time. Yes, there was a few Gentiles maybe involved, but most of the Gentiles wouldn't move until later. So essentially the people who called themselves believers, the largest majority were the Israelites, the Jews who had come to faith into the, the Messiah, Jesus. And that's who he's speaking to. So that's important to grasp that. And our message today as we dive into chapter one in the beginning is uncommon, uncommon, the perspective of a transformed life. I want you to think about perspective through this, because perspective is everything. Perspective leads into what we just talked about with a biblical worldview. Do you see everything through the lens of Scripture and God's truth, or do you not? Because perspective will affect, guys, how you live. Perspective will affect how you think, how you act, and how you live. So when we think of the word uncommon, uncommon if you look at the definition, it means not ordinarily found or experienced. Mm. Uncommon, not ordinarily found or experienced. Guys, I think that matches that 13 to 19% statistic we just had. That's even in the church. You want to be uncommon? Have a biblical worldview in your life. You want to be uncommon? Be radically transformed by the spirit of Jesus in your life. That's what James is pushing toward. So we see this world we live in today, everybody wants to be different in some way, don't they? I mean, you want to stand out, you want to be different, people are looking for ways to express themselves. Guys, you want to know the biggest way you can be different, stand out and express yourself and be totally odd? You don't have to look like a tackle box exploded in your face to do that, okay? Somebody got that. You want to know what you can do to stand out and be different in this world? Stand unapologetically and live by this. You will be different. Guys, that's what Jesus went to the cross for, is to call us out so that he can live his life through us and we could be different. That we could be transformed into the image of his son. And what he wants to do inside of that is give us a new perspective, a transformed mind, a transformed way of living. Because I'm going to be honest, the church age we live in today is the Laodicean church age. Remember, we went through the book of Revelation, and we talked about Jesus's letter to the churches. And we saw specifically this church of Laodicea who had nothing good going on. In fact, Jesus was so disgusted with their heart and their life and their actions that he said, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Guys, that's the church age we live in. That's it. There's a bunch of lukewarm believers who think they have something they don't have. Can I tell you something? 
We just talked about this last week. Anything of value is going to eventually have an imitation. And something's going to want to mimic it. And so anything with value has an objective measure of testing that validates its authenticity. Whether that be a watch, whether that be a $100 bill if you have one in your pocket. There's ways you can tell that that's real versus an imitation of fake. Guys, I want to tell you, Satan wants to counterfeit faith. Authentic faith, he wants to make a false faith substitute that looks the same on the outside, but at its core is not real and is not a saving faith. Guys, that's what James wants to point out all through this epistle that he writes. It's what saving faith looks like. In other words, put yourself to the test. So many times in scripture, we talked about this last week, the Bible says to test yourself. See if you're of the faith. Lord, test my heart. Lord, know my ways. Guys, that's the attitude of a Christ follower. It's what I want to be different. Not perfect, but I want to be changed. And I want to do different. Christ in you will make you authentic. Can I just say that? Guys, we're going to hear James say in so many ways as we get into into chapter 2 that faith without works is dead. It is. Why? Because works is the the proof of of a heart that's changed. But you know what else is dead? Works without faith. You know, you can just do a bunch of good things but never have your heart right. And all those works, all those actions, all those good things you do mean nothing apart from Christ at the center. You know, some people would inaccurately say that, and you may have heard this before, that James was written as a response to Paul's teaching. Baloney. In in other words, many people say that Paul just talked about justification by faith, which he did. But Paul so many times pointed to works that followed that faith. Read Ephesians chapter 2 that he wrote. Yes, you're saved by faith, not of works that no one can boast, but we're saved to do good works, which God planned beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen? You're saved to be changed. (laughs) You're saved to be different, to be a light in the darkness, to be a salt in this world. You want to know what else makes that a, a false pretense that James was written as a response to Paul's writing? James wrote this book before Paul ever wrote a book. Did you know that? Boy, that will make the pastor have a lump in his throat when he didn't study and know that. This book was written in around 45 to 50 A.D., Paul didn't write his first epistle, which was 1 Thessalonians, until 52 to 53 A.D. That's five to seven years after. Guys, this is the first book written in the New Testament chronologically. You need to know that because that means something. Because from the very start of the church... The first word that God put out in his canon of scripture was calling people to authentic faith. In other words, don't let the enemy pull you into a false faith that doesn't have a changed life. Christ in you makes a difference. That's the first book of this New Testament that's written chronologically. So it's crucial that we see that, that James is going to point us to what it looks like to have this saving faith. 
versus a false faith. And he's going to get to the heart of the matter. And he calls us then in humility to a genuine surrender and salvation through Jesus, through this life that can be transformed. Because this is what God's word will do. Through his spirit, he will change your mind. Do you know that's what repentance means? It's a change of mind. That's the pro- repentance is the product of the spirit. Did you know that? That's not even a work. That's a product of God. By changing our mind, that leads to a change of our heart, that leads to a change of our actions. Guys, that's authentic faith, and that's changing a perspective, and that's what it looks like to be uncommon. Let's pray before we dive in. Dear Lord, we love you. Father, we thank you for Jesus. Lord, we want to magnify you, glorify you. Lord, lift your name high. And Lord, we want to hear from you today. Lord, we're diving in to a book that was written first to your church. First, about what it really looks like to have a true saving faith, to be radically changed by the Spirit of God in our life. And Lord, it's such a message that's not preached today in the church. And that's why only 13 to 19% have a biblical worldview. Lord, raise up pastors and put them in the pulpit to preach your word and to stand on your word and preach it unapologetically, or Lord, move them out of that pulpit and put somebody there who will. Lord, because the time is now, the time is near, and Lord, we don't have time to waste. We're in the fourth quarter, and we need to know, Father, the authenticity of the faith that you went to the cross for. People need to hear it and know it and not be lulled to sleep and deceived by an enemy who wants to make them think they have something they don't. So, Father, would you radically, radically move through your spirit today in this place and by everybody who hears our voice today online. And, Lord, would you move through your spirit, let the scales fall off people's eyes that they can see the truth. And, Lord, they can examine their own selves, their own heart, their own life, and ask, am I really of the faith? And, Lord, that we can fall and surrender under the authority of your word and repentance, Father, and move to a new life that we could be uncommon and shine the light of Christ in this world that so desperately needs it. So, Lord, we praise you in advance for everything you're about to do. You get all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. First words, guys. First words. To his church. James chapter 1, verse 1 through 11. I'm going to read it and then we'll dig it out. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let us ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. 
He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field, he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. First words, guys, of Jesus speaking through James to his church. What does it say? My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. First words. Boy, that doesn't sound like a prosperity gospel to me, does it you? (laughs) He doesn't say, if you fall into various trials, he says, when. It's a guaranteed. You see, guys, he's speaking to these people who call themselves followers of Christ who have been scattered. Why are they scattered? Persecution. They're in the middle of being persecuted for their faith. And he's telling them to count it all joy. Boy, I'm going to tell you, that's counterculture, guys. Now, a lot of people want to follow Jesus and, 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 and claim to be a Christian until they get in the boiling pot of persecution. And they want to get out and run away and quit and blame God. Guys, what James is going to point to is if the Spirit of God is in you, we have a higher calling to a new perspective of difficult times. So it's not if, it's just a matter of when. And at the same time, we are to have joy in these occasions, not discouraging defeat. Guys, I'm going to tell you, I've failed at this a lot. How about you? I get in trials, I get in difficult times, and I, I feel defeated. I'm just being honest. But I can look back at times where, yes, where that, that, that moment of, of, of flesh-mindedness that is discouraged and feels defeated and wants to, to whine and moan. But then I, I see the times where God has strengthened me and picked me up. Like, boy, what are you doing? Come on. Are you, you, go, you going to believe in me or not? Are you going to walk forward or not? Are you going to live by faith or you want sight? Because we're called to live by faith and not by sight. And guys, I've seen God do an amazing work the most when I decided I was going to move forward regardless of what the circumstances look like ahead of me. And I've seen God move. How about you? James said trials will come. And in those moments, we're to consider it joy. That's a big difference. You see, it doesn't mean Trials are joyful. Doesn't mean, woo, cheer up. Yeah, I'm so happy I'm in this hard time. That's not it. Guys, he says, consider it joy. What does consider mean? Where do you consider something? Right there. You consider something in your mind. It's your perspective. Change your perspective to look at this differently. That God wants to do a work inside of this. And it's imperative we grasp that today. 
you, me. Guys, I don't think it's any mistake that we're celebrating a, a seventh birthday today at this message. God has always been right on time with his word. Can I tell you that? I preach expositionally um, for one reason, because I want to go verse by verse through God's word and teach it unapologetically and not skip a thing. You know, the other reason I do it is so that nobody can accuse me of preaching at them. <laughs> if I counsel somebody or do something or, or, or anything, they can't say, well, you preached at me that week and we just had that meeting. Well, that's just what was next on the table. I guess God had it for us, didn't he? I mean, it is what it is. And God's been on time so many times with his word, and this is no different. Because I'm going to tell you what, we're celebrating seven years today, but it has not been easy. It has been nothing but an attack of the enemy to try to destroy this church from day one. Can I just paint the picture clearly? A lot of you don't see that, what goes on behind the scenes. But I can tell you there's an enemy who doesn't want us right there at year seven. He's tried and he's tried and he's tried again to take this thing down and to divide this body in so many ways. But Jesus is faithful. He gets all glory, not me. The only thing I can take credit for is almost messing it up. <laughs> but Jesus is here, guys. And he wants us to see that he is faithful in the midst of it all. James says we count it all joy in the midst of trials because it's used to produce something. We got to get that. It's not joyful because it hurts. It's joyful because it's producing something. It's building something. It's growing something. What is that? What does it say? Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Why? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. We got to get this straight. Testing doesn't produce faith. Testing produces patience. That's evident by the faith that's already there that's being tested. Do we see that? We got to understand that. When we look at these words, this word for trials here means affliction, persecution, trial of any kind. It means adversity. This word could also mean a temptation, but in this aspect, it's pointing more to these, this time, this seasons of adversity that we all face and that these Christians were walking in. Yes, it can also mean temptation as we think of it as like tempted to steal a cookie out of the cookie jar. And James will get to that later in this chapter. But specifically here, he's reflecting on these adverse times. But guys, I thought about this, even inside, thinking of this word, even in times of adversity, in these trials, isn't it still a time of, of temptation to sin? It is. It, it's a, it's a, a, a temptation for us to doubt. It's a temptation for us to, to turn our back on God. It's a temptation for us to lean on our own understanding and take circumstances into our own hands. It's a, it's a temptation for us to take revenge on whoever's causing this problem. It's a, also a temptation to sin. In hard times and we need to understand that and this is where we need to surrender ourselves to the authority of Christ and let him transform us with a renewed perspective because I promise you what we're talking about here is uncommon this is not common this is uncommon when you look and it says when you fall into 
It's not a step-by-step of choice. It's a boom, I'm in the middle of it. How many of you know, man, things could be going great one minute and you get one phone call. You, 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 you walk out the door and, and something has just happened and you're in the middle of it. You go from the, the highest of highs and then boom, you're right in the middle of the fire. You ever been there in your life before? Guys, that's what he's talking about. When you fall into this and it just hits you like a ton of bricks and it blindsides you. When you feel like you're so surrounded and there's no escaping and you're distressed, maybe even as David was through many of the Psalms and especially Psalms 116. And then in verse three, he goes into this. He says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces this patience. If you have the NIV, you probably have the word perseverance. So this testing equals and brings on, produces, if you will, patience. Let's look at this word because this is important. This word, this Greek word, is hupomone. And this word does not describe a patience like a passive waiting, like you're waiting in the doctor's office, hoping they call you back any minute now. That's not this. This word, this Greek word for patience that maybe better translated perseverance, is an active, hopeful endurance. I'll say it again if you're taking notes. Active, hopeful endurance. So it isn't the quality that helps you sit at the stoplight more patiently. It's the quality that helps you finish running a marathon to endure hardship, pain, the desire in you to want to quit, stop, Push through that. That's what God wants to bring you and me in trials. Guys, this is not a product of the survival of the fittest and how strong you are as a person. This is not. Guys, don't get that. You can, somebody might say, well, Brad, I just ain't that strong. I've, I've never been that kind of person. Great. Christ wants to change you. <laughs> Christ wants to do a new work in you. He wants to give you that strength you don't have because when you're weak, he's strong. I'm going to say it again. When you're weak, he's strong. I wonder if anybody knows that. I wonder if anybody really believes that, that God wants you to feel like you don't have enough because that's when he does his greatest work through you where you don't get the glory and only he does. That's what he wants to bring to us. It's this active, hopeful endurance, perseverance to finish the race even when it's hard, even when we're resisted. You look at this word further, this hupomone word for patience or perseverance. It comes from two root words. Hupo means under and meno, which means to stay or to abide or to remain. So at its root, this word means to remain under. We got to get that. It's a choice of remaining under something. It has the picture of someone under a heavy load and choosing to stay there instead of trying to escape. Oh, that hit me right there because I know a little something in the weight room. Well, at least I used to. I don't lift anymore. It's like, I ain't touched the weight in like two years. I just did the other day and I'm so sorry I can't raise my hand. All right, so don't ask me to raise my hand. But guys, when you go into the weight room, what's your goal? You want to transform your body in some way. 
For me, I go in there, I want to get stronger. I want to get bigger, whatever, because I'm on the football field, because I'm doing dumb things like breaking bricks or whatever. Guys, there's a goal in mind. And to do that, I've got to put myself under a strain, under a heavy weight. If I go in there and my goal is to get stronger, to get bigger, I could go in there with the wrong mindset and say, you know what? I don't want to push myself today. I don't want to sweat. I don't want this to be hard. I don't want to be sore tomorrow. So I'm just going to do some lightweight. Hey, I'm still lifting weights. But guys, I'm just going through the motions compared to what my goal is. Because if I don't put and subject my muscles to a heavier weight, then I'll never get stronger. And I'll never move forward to where I want to be. Guys, the same is true for us spiritually. God wants to subject you to some spiritual weight training where you want to strengthen your faith muscle. Not give your faith muscle. We're going to talk about that because trials don't give faith. It strengthens it. It's a faith that's already there that then will actively do something different and produce something, produce this perseverance. So faith is tested through trials. It's not produced. Because here's the truth. Trials often reveal the faith we do have or don't have. I'm going to say that again, and that's what James is getting at. If you have true, active, saving faith, there's a difference in you compared to somebody who has the false kind. Because you don't want to quit. You don't want to come out. It's a difference of the Spirit of God in you versus their It's not. It's a difference of a heart that's surrendered to Jesus and his truth versus a heart that is not. It's a difference of a heart and a mind that has an eternal mindset versus an earthly, worldly mindset. It's perspective. I've often heard it said that character is not developed in adversity, but it's rather revealed in adversity. Boy, isn't that true. After it's all said and done, yeah, you may develop a stronger character, a stronger faith. But in the heat of the battle, when, when, it, when you're really in the boiler pot, when you're in the furnace, that moment, that adversity will reveal the faith you do or don't have or the character that you do or don't have. You've seen it and I've seen it. What is the purpose of that? Why does God then want us... To, to go through these times? Why does he allow this faith to be tested? Here's why. It's so that our faith will be evident not only to us, but to others around us. Can we go back to that? God wants to do a transforming work in your life and in my life, not so people could praise us. What did Jesus say in Matthew? It's so people could praise him. So people can see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. It's for we can point back to Jesus that we're different, that we're uncommon. Why? Because of Christ in me. Because all I wanted to do was quit. All I was about to do was mess things up. But Jesus, that's why we remained under the weight. That's why. And don't quit. So we notice that faith is tested here. And it shows that faith is important and it's precious. Again, you go back to something that's authentic, has objective measures to test its authenticity. Trials and adversity in our life are nothing more than a way to test the authenticity of our faith. 
Are we going to quit and give up or are we not? Is this faith real to us or is it not? Do we only praise Jesus when things are good or do we praise Jesus when things are bad? Because only, only precious things are tested so thoroughly, guys. And the enemy wants you and me to fail the test. And even in the midst of that, still think we have it. He's a master deceiver. He's an angel of light. Why would he be called an angel of light? Because he wants to present himself as something that is but is not. He's a masquerade. He's a fake. He's a liar. And he's going to present himself as the real deal and what you really need. And all, did God say? So if trials don't produce faith, what does? Let's get this really hitched. What produces faith? Romans 10, 17 tells us. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Supernaturally, faith is built in us as we hear, understand, and trust the God's word. It's his spirit moving through his word in us. That's what develops faith. Faith is then tested under trial and it produces endurance, which is a strengthening of that. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture for the first words from Jesus to his church through his half-brother James. James didn't want anyone to think God sends trials to break down or destroy our faith. So he's going to come back to that point in verse 13 through 18, and that'll be next week as we dive into that. Because he's going to say very, very plainly, anyone that's tempted shouldn't say that God did it. He doesn't work like that. But he does allow tests for the authenticity of what he's put in you so other people can see Christ in that. So it produces patience, perseverance. That's what's produced. But yet, it doesn't mean it's automatic. We have to understand that. This isn't, okay, good, I'm in a trial. That means my faith's going to be stronger. Kind of a hurry up, hurry, hurry up. Let me get to this. That's not going to cut it. <laughs> because in all honesty, and we know this, because we've all failed at this at times, that we can be in hard times and be in a bad mood. Be grouchy to our kids, grouchy to our spouse, grouchy to our coworkers. I've been there and you have too. And hopefully inside of that, in those moments, God convicts us and breaks us of that and turns us around. I know he's done that to me so many times. Where I started on the wrong path, and be like, hold up, horsey. Woo, we got to look at this different. Come on. Yes, Lord, sorry. How about you? You ever been there? You see, because if we're not careful, these times of adversity could be received with unbelief and grumbling. They can produce bitterness. Ever been there? Discouragement. So it's not automatic. It again goes back to a further, we talk about this all the time, a new level of surrender, a deeper level of trust in Jesus. The Lord to get me through this and do something through this. So what this is, this growth, again, is not a testimony to you and how strong you are. It's a testimony to how faithful Jesus is. Because the growth you get 
in the trials is a product of Christ in you. I love what Spurgeon said. I want to quote this. It says, the natural tendency of trouble is not to sanctify, but to induce sin. The man is very apt to become unbelieving under affliction. That is a sin. He is apt to murmur against God under it. That is a sin. He is apt to put forth his hand to some ill way of escaping from his difficulty. And that would be sin. Hence, we are taught to pray. Lead us not into temptation because trial has in itself a measure of temptation. And if it were not neutralized by abundant grace, it would bear us towards sin. All praise be to Jesus is what Spurgeon is saying. Any success, any um, overcoming of trials and adversity in our life that we have is all glory to Jesus. And through that, he kept us from falling deeper into sin and moving away from him because of Christ in us. So this is why James exhorted the church of the time to count it all joy. Count it all joy. Count it all joy. Doesn't mean it all is joy. Doesn't mean it's happiness. But we're to look at it for what it will produce. That's what brings the joy. I want to read, just simply read, some passages from the joy book, Philippians. And if you were with us in the tent, we went expositionally through the book of Philippians. Paul's letter that he wrote, get this, while he was in chains, guys. So I want you to picture a man that's in prison, chained to a guard, not because he did something wrong, but because he stood up for Jesus and preached his word amongst a group of people who didn't want to hear it. Sound familiar today? Philippians, I want to read, just read for you, chapter 1, verse 12 through 14. Think about this picture. He's in chains. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Woo! Maybe it's just me that gets fired up when I read that. The guy's in chains, and he said, man, it's becoming more and more evident, not just to the believers, but to even the people in Caesar's palace. All these guards, man, this guard I'm chained to, I'm sharing Christ, and the brother got saved. They hooked me up to another one tomorrow night. I shared the gospel. The brother got saved. In other words, people, because Paul is in chains, going through adversity, he has the right mindset of joy in the midst of adversity, and people are getting saved on Caesar's watch. Oh, come on. What Satan meant for evil, God wants to use for good. Is that your mindset? That's a radically transformed mind and perspective of Christ. And then he said this. He said, man, did you see that? It points to what we just talked about. It's for others to see how we handle the adversity. It says, because of this, because of having become confident by my change, so many more people, brethren, in the church are much more bold to speak the word without fear. God wants to do a work in you in the midst of adversity that reaches others and lights a fire under somebody and sparks somebody 
Man, I think of David and Goliath. And we know the story. But I want you to, I want you to, to understand this. This giant has been intimidating a whole army of trained warriors so that they don't do what they're called and trained to do, and that's fight. Come on. He's intimidated them with his mouth. 40 days. Nothing. Until this one teenage boy comes up and be like, what? What are y'all doing? Do y'all have faith or not? Basically what David's going to say. Hey, I'm going to step out and I'll fight this guy if y'all ain't going to do it. Because I'm going to trust the same God, get this, get this, who delivered me from the lion and delivered me from the bear. I'm going to see him deliver this cat into my hands too. Guys, what God wants to do with us is strengthen our faith through trials, through the lions and through the bears of our life to prepare us for Goliath. So that we have a faith that's strong enough to face the impossible. But get this, this is the beautiful part of that story. Please don't miss this part of the story. At the part we all know where, where he slayed Goliath, knocked him down. Yeah, he kind of did the, the, the decapitating thing. I'll keep it PG in here because I know we got kids in here. All right. What does the Bible say happened at that point? Don't miss this. When he did that, the Bible says, then the Israelites charged the Philistines. <laughs> because of the faith of one man to step out and trust God, it ignited an entire army who was dormant to rise up and do what they were called to do. Guys, today, what does God want to do through you and me? He wants us to handle adversity and step out in faith, to trust how he delivered us from the lions and the bears, to face a Goliath, and to therefore to strengthen a dormant army in this culture who needs to rise up in this church age and stand hard on the truth of God's word. That's why impact is here, and that's why the enemy doesn't want it here. So we got to let it finish. James says, let it finish. So why? So that you can be essentially spiritually mature and complete, not lacking anything. Guys, we got to let it finish cooking. Look at the person beside you and tell them, let it finish cooking. <laughs> what if you take your food out too early from the oven? Take your chicken out too early? Then it's all gooey and nasty and you get salmonella and you get sick and guy go to the hospital in other words if you take it out too early it's not good for anything and it causes trouble god wants you to finish what he's trying to do in you it's philippians what he said he who began a good work in you will carry to completion to the day of christ jesus if you let it if you let him will you let him finish Will you let him finish? Take it out too early. It's not any good. We know this. Some of you, those of you who have started diets in the new year, you have a goal. You want to, you want to get somewhere. But if you stop too soon, what are you going to do? Fall right back to where you were. If you're in the weight room and you're in the gym and, and you got goals and you want to achieve something and then you stop. You fall right back to where you were. Guys, that's what happens in our faith if we stop. Stay in the weight room of faith. 
and let God do his work. He'll give you the strength to persevere. He'll give you the strength you don't have. And then I love what James says. Hey, in the middle of trials and difficulty, what do we all need? What are we all looking for? Guidance, direction, wisdom. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, what does he say? Ask who? Dr. Phil? <laughs> Oprah? The pastor? Ask God. How do you ask God? This is where he speaks. So many people don't have wisdom, direction, and guidance because they don't hear from God through this. And they listen to other people. And they get man's perspective and man's advice and man's direction on how you should handle that. And they run away from what God wants them to do. And they run away from where God wants them to maybe humble themselves under a mistake they made and grow spiritually. But they listen to somebody else's advice. Oh, you can't do that. You need to run. They treated you bad. And instead, God wanted to humble you and do a work through you and then speak to other people through that process. But you left. But you left. He didn't let God finish what he wanted to do through adversity. Ask God, not man. Guys, I'm not discounting godly counsel. Please don't get me wrong. But if you gain counsel, make sure it goes back and is backed with this. This is where God speaks. He says, ask him. Because then what's he going to do? What's God do? He gives without finding fault. Did you see that? He gives generously, abundantly. Because he's God and he loves you. And he wants to hear from his children. Don't you want to hear from your children when they're in a hard time and they have a question about something? You, man, it just, it floors you if, you're, if your teenager would come and ask you for advice because you could be like, I've been there. I, I can give you some wisdom here. <laughs> Guys, God wants the same from us. He wants to hear from us. Lord, I need your help. I can't figure this out on my own. I don't know what's going to happen. Man, these are uncertain times, uncertain circumstances. And, and, and I, think, I think things may fall apart here. God, what should I do? And then God gives liberally, generously, without finding fault. That's without reproach. In other words, God gives with an open hand when you ask for his wisdom, his guidance, his direction. He doesn't clench his fist and say, nope, nope, nope. And get this, it doesn't say that you have to earn it. God only gives his wisdom if you've been a good boy or a good girl lately. Mm -mm. You don't earn his favor, guys. You don't earn his favor through works or being good or bad. God's not a cosmic cop waiting to punish you because you've done something wrong. God's waiting for you to humble yourself and come to him and ask, though. He is waiting for you and I to humble ourselves and ask we can't buy God's favor, buy God's guidance. We can't demand God's favor and demand God's guidance, and we definitely can't earn it. But if we ask, it's a beggar's word, ask as the beggar asks you in the street, and God will give you far more liberally his wisdom, his guidance, his direction than you even give to the poor. That's a father we serve. I love James chapter 5, verse 9. I'm just going to read that really quick to you. Where James points this out, verse 9 through 11. James chapter 5, verse 9 through 11. Resist him, stand steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. 
But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a little while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. I don't know about you, but that sounds good to me. I want some of that. In the middle of adversity and pain, I want God to perfect me where I fail. I want God to establish me where men try to tear me down. I want God to strengthen me where I'm weak. And I want God to settle me where I'm anxious. How about you? Don't run. Let God finish. That's what he wants to do. And it happens in faith. And it happens nowhere apart from faith that we're granted this. Because it says those who ask, you must ask in faith and not doubt. Because the one who doubts, what? First of all, shouldn't expect to receive anything from the Lord. Oh my goodness. Lord, forgive me for my doubt. How about you? Guys, so many times, it's not that we don't believe God's all-powerful. We believe he can. We just don't trust and know that he will. That's hard. So many times, Jesus, when he healed somebody and performed his miracles, was said, go, your faith has healed you. Oh, how many times have we missed out on what God wants to do because our faith was lacking? We almost missed out on 45 acres of land because of my doubt that it didn't make sense to go ask somebody for a $1.5 million piece of land in force when we only had $80,000 in the bank. How about you? What's your story with that? When did you almost miss out? But God did something. Because it says the man who doubts is like what? A wave of the sea tossed back and forth by the wind. In other words, you're unstable in all your ways. You haven't had a mind transformed. You've got an untransformed mind if you believe like that. The wave of the sea is a fitting description because it's one who's hindered by unbelief and unnecessary doubt that consumes them. We all get those fleeting moments. We've got to understand that. You'll have a fleeting moment of doubt. But does that consume you? Does, does that really deviate you from the faith and and make you go trust in yourself, trust in your finances, trust in your relationships? Or do you trust God? We all have that fleeting doubt. But is there a pattern of doubt and unbelief in your life? That's what it's getting at. Because the wave of the sea is without rest, so is the doubter. Wave of the sea is unstable, so is the doubter. Wave of the sea is driven by the winds, tossed back and forth, so is the doubter. Get this, I love this one. A wave of the sea can cause great destruction. So can the doubter. Because you could affect somebody else's faith. And their walk with the Lord. Because somebody's watching you. Somebody's watching me. And it matters how we respond in adversity. James calls him a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. In other words, a man that sits on two sides of the fence, says they have faith, but really has unbelief. 
It's an untransformed mind. And again, this is not a snapshot. This is a pattern. He closes in verse 9 through 11, this passage, saying basically it's appropriate for the the lowly person to rejoice when they are exalted by God and lifted up. But it's also appropriate, but yet far more difficult for the, for the highly, the rich, to rejoice when they're brought under humiliation by trials. Because so often they'll depend on their riches and they'll just look for the good times. So as the poor brother forgets his poverty, so the rich brother should forget their earthly riches. The two should be equal on both sides. But we know that trials serve to remind the rich, the high in status, that though they may be comfortable in this life, it's just this life. And none of it goes with you. And it can all can be taken away in a snap. So where do you depend and look to for strength and joy in the midst of adversity? Is it in the things of this world or is it in the Lord who wants to lift you up? So then he gives this scale on, in terms of attorney on how quickly the material things of this world will fade away because he likens it to a flower. And we know back in, in the times of Israel that it would have times of rain, flowers would pop up quickly, but then they could be quickly scorched with the sun and the heat. And that's how quickly James points to that the things of this world and money fade away. So that's why we don't put our hope and our trust in those things. And in fact, we use what God's provided, our riches, our material things, for his glory. And we don't want to get more just to spend more. We don't want more just to have more and keep up with the Joneses. We prayerfully want to aspire to grow and gain so we can serve more with what God provides. That's what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians. So, to close, the first test of this faith, first words in the canon of Scripture to the church in the New Testament was a test of uncommon perspective in adversity. The test of uncommon perspective in adversity. It's a changed heart and a changed mind. And I read what Paul wrote again. I'm going to read Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 through 15. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 through 15. Not that I've already attained or am already perfected, that's important, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Ooh. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, somebody say therefore. Therefore, let us, who's us? Who, me? Yeah, you. Let us, as many as are mature, have this mind, and if any, anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. In other words, God will convict you if you think differently. That's the mindset that we're to have. I love that. What did he just say? That I'm not perfected. I haven't already attained it, but I'm pressing on toward the mark. What's Paul saying there? What's James saying basically? That we have to be perfect? No, absolutely not. 
So this is a test. It's not a test of perfection. It's a test of direction. Oh. You see, some people would come and say, oh, that's legalistic, Brad. You preach legalistic. No, 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 no. We're all going to fail. Even Paul said that. I ain't even attained it. I'm not perfected. It's not a test of perfected. Be perfect. Be perfect. But it's a test of direction towards being perfect. Because we're never going to be perfect until we're in heaven one day. I love that. God's word in this book of James is not a test of perfection, but a test of direction. In other words, it's not a snapshot. You can take a snapshot of your life at any moment, and we could be caught in the wrong position doing the wrong thing, failing. We've all been there. I've been there. You've been there. But instead of a snapshot, you take a video, a continuous time-lapsed video. And of that video of your life, the question then becomes the test is, are you showing a pattern of a new direction and change or are you not? That's the test. Not the perfection at a moment. We all fail. But the video time lapsed. Is there a pattern in your life? Have you not been changed, transformed? Are you still doing the same thing, talking the same way, hanging out with the same people, making excuses for sin? If that's the case, then maybe you need to examine yourself and see if you're really of the faith. Because when you experience Christ, he radically changes you, gives you a new perspective. I end with a story right now that I've told before months ago, and I think it's worthy to share again. There was two guys, two buddies, and one was an avid woodsman and one was a city boy. And uh, they saw, they got a little down on their uh, luck financially and they needed some money. And, and Jeb, the, the, the country boy, saw this advertisement that there was a bounty on wolves in the state. And you could get $5,000 for every wolf that you turn in because they needed to thin them down because they were reaping havoc. So Jeb looks at his friend and says, hey, man, we really need some money. Hey, let's go up here and let's see if we can get us some wolves. So city boy, we'll call him Fred, never been in the woods much, but trusted his buddy and said, okay, I'll go because I need some money. So they head up in the mountains and they set up camp up in the middle of the mountains and it's cold and snowing and, and, and they set up everything. And, and as they're going to bed, it just, the sun goes down, it just starts to get dark and all the wolves start to howl all around the mountainside. Ow! That eerie, just piercing sound. And Fred, the city boy in his tent was like, oh no. And because of that fear, he stayed up anxiously all night, got very little sleep. But Jed was used to it, and he just fell right to sleep. And the morning come, and the sun started to, to rise. And at the sound of his unbelief, Fred heard wolves outside. He heard them growling, and he could hear them cracking sticks. And moving around the tent, and he become more scared, and he covered himself up in fear. One of the sticks broke and woke up Jed. And old Jeb got up, 
and he went to the tent door and he opened the tent and he looked out and he saw 12 to 20 ferocious wolves circling their tent, snarling and drooling. And he turned back to Fred and he said, Fred, wake up, Fred, wake up. And Fred said, I know, I heard them. We're dead, aren't we? Which Jeb said, no, we're rich. <laughs> Guys, what's your perspective on what's going on? God wants to radically change you so that it may look like the wolves are circling the tent and things are over. But spiritually inside, you're rich because Christ is in you. And he's going to do a work of perseverance in you that makes you uncommon. And through that, he's going to strengthen you and prepare you for the Goliath that's ahead. And he's going to shine the light of Christ to others and light a fire under a dormant group of warriors who need to answer their calling and go fight. Let perseverance finish its work. Let's close our eyes, bow our head. I just wonder if there's anybody here that might say, Brad, I've never surrendered my life to Jesus. And I want that. I want desperately this transformed mind, heart. I want to be new because I've failed. I've messed up. I've fallen short of God's glory. And I want to fall under Jesus and be restored, renewed, forgiven. And be raised to walk in newness of life. If that's you, I want you to do business with God right here today. Or you might be here and you might say, Brad, I've committed my life to Christ earlier, but lately I've drifted, I've walked away. Life's been hard. Trials have been difficult. And I've failed in so many ways and I've doubted God and I've moved away from him and and it's affected me, and it's affected my family, and it's affected my kids, and it's affected my job, and it's affected everything about me. And today, I want to come running back to the cross, like the prodigal son running back to the father. I want to come back because I want to have a renewed, transformed perspective on life. I want to be radically changed and be set on fire to do what I've called to do. If that's you and you want to rededicate your life, I'm going to ask you to do business with God here the same way and rededicate your life. So if you are ready to surrender, commit your life to Jesus for the first time or to rededicate your life right now, would you do that? It's Romans 10, 9 and 10. It's with your heart that you believe and are justified. It's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Get your heart right with Jesus right now and just say, dear Lord, I admit to you that I've messed up. I'm a sinner. And there's nothing I can do to fix it. There's nothing I can do to pay for the penalty of my sin. So, Lord, I'm coming and I'm asking you to do what I can't do for myself. And, Lord, that's to change me. Thank you, Father. For sending your son Jesus to die on that cross and his body was broken, his blood was shed, that I could be forgiven, renewed, restored, redeemed, set free. Lord, thank you for raising him from the grave three days later. Lord, proving that he is God. 
And Lord, he stands in all victory over hell, death, and the grave. And Lord, I want that same victory right now in my life, Lord, I need. I want to be an overcomer. I want to have a renewed perspective, a transformed life. I want to be uncommon. So my commitment to you is from this day forward, with every step I take and every breath I make, it'll be for your glory and yours alone. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Amen. If that was you and you did business with Jesus right here today, every head bowed, every eye still closed. If you did business with the Lord and committed, surrendered your life for the first time, or you rededicated your life to him, would you just boldly, unashamed, raise your hand. Say, Brad, I did that today, and I'm not ashamed. Amen. Put your hands down. If I don't see you, God does. We're going to close our service like we do every week here, and then we're going to fellowship together. We're going to have a great time together. We're going to celebrate all God has done and all God's getting ready to do. And we're going to lock arms together, and we're going to charge the gates of hell through the blood of Jesus and the power of the cross together in this eighth year. But first, I want you just to have this opportunity to do business with whatever God is. Do it in your heart. Put action to it with your feet. There'll be pastors up here. We can talk with you, pray with you if you like. Or you can come right past us and just do business with Jesus. So whatever it is, whether you made a decision today for the Lord, maybe any prayer over a loved one, a, a situation going on in your life, finances, health, whatever it is, maybe you need to um, join the church, get plugged in, whatever it is. Right now, let's stand to our feet. Let's sing with all our voice, with all our heart. Let's come right now as the Lord leads. You are here.